Welcome to the Future of Risk podcast from Zurich, North America. I'm Renee Cohen. By 2025, the World Economic Forum predicts that humans and machines will pretty much be dividing the workload 50-50. As a result, businesses of all sizes are being challenged to upskill and reskill their employees to help them keep pace with the impact of technology. Joining us today to discuss how business leaders can adapt to this new world of work, as well as ways to support and motivate employees to learn new skills is Terry Hart. Terry is head of talent development at Zurich, where she is responsible for leadership and manager development, as well as ongoing professional development for all employees. She has been a learning and development leader at several Fortune 500 companies in a variety of industries. She also recently published a book, Hardwired to Learn, Leveraging the Self-Sustaining Power of Lifelong Learning. Terry, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start with conditions now. Considering the tight labor market combined with advances in technology, it feels like the stakes are higher than ever for companies when it comes to reskilling and upskilling in 2022. Your thoughts? This is a great question, and I really think you're on to something. In fact, In my book, I actually talk about the first three industrial revolutions, the steam engine, the age of science and mass production, and the rise of digital technology. These revolutions we all know, they really transformed society. And what society looked like before and after was entirely different. And now we find ourselves amidst the fourth industrial revolution, which was uh, observed initially by West founder, Klaus Schwab. it's really a massive and an unprecedented shift in technology. And it's, it's, it's a build on on the digital revolution, except there's an increased velocity and blurring lines across human and technical work um, and, and really just much more complexity. Uh, so, and, and you may have heard about the digital disruption, of course, um, but we're, we're having a second disruption around the pandemic, and it's really changing the nature of how we work. And so um, these two forces together are often dubbed the double disruption. Um, and so I think of skills as sort of this third frontier, uh, this third disruption that's going to happen as a result of these other disruptions, because both of them are causing a significant shift in the way that we work and the way that we need to work. That's so interesting. And before we go on, I want to ask you an easy question. And I'm being ironic here. Can you define what exactly we mean when we say upskill and reskill? It seems obvious, but I'm thinking maybe it might be a bit more nuanced. Of course, of course, these terms have been around for years, and I think we're hearing about them more and more frequently. And I tell you, as a learning leader, I think I see email in my inbox all the time about a webinar on upskilling and reskilling um, from a vendor. <laughs> the way I think of it is I, I think of upskilling as simply building on an existing skill set for a role that you're currently doing um, or a very closely related role. For example, um, learning to integrate a new technology into your work is upskilling. So you have a new tool that's going to make your work more effective or more efficient. That's upskilling. While something like 
retraining call center employees for cloud computing roles is reskilling. So that's taking employees that are doing really entirely different work um, and identifying those who might um, might actually find it um, a fit for them to do something entirely different. Uh, lately, though, I, I find myself often using the term new skilling or future skilling or, or future proofing. And to be honest, I think it's a little bit less important to distinguish what the learning is for. And I think the term reskilling can seem a bit unmotivating because people might get the sense that somehow means they're not skilled or that their skills are entirely outdated. And so I think I think just new skilling or future skilling might be a way to start talking about it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, when we talk about new skilling or future proofing, then are these skills specific to an individual industry, or is it more about just becoming comfortable adapting to the fact that we need to interact with technology and new systems? That's a really interesting question. So, I haven't. I am not aware of any industries or roles that are unaffected by the disruption. Technology is increasingly advancing and increasingly able to complete the tasks of humans. And even though there's still a huge gap, I think we know this when we interact with a chatbot in many situations that there's still a huge gap. <laughs> right. um, but the, <laughs> but these these technologies are improving, and as they do, our jobs are slowly evolving. And so. We actually have to learn how to interact with the technology, so we have to learn how to train the chatbots. Um, but then we also need to look at how do we change the nature of our own work in terms of adding value. Um, and so it, it really means continually skilling up, never resting on our laurels. I think that probably sounds tiring to some people to think, oh, I have to keep retraining. But that's actually what I really wanted to explore in my book is how we can improve our natural learning ability and attune ourselves to what gets in the way of our learning um, so that it's not so painful to be learning all the time. And I think, um, you know, once we get used to the comfort of leaning in or, you know, getting comfortable with discomfort, we actually can become more attuned to learning, more attuned to picking up new technologies, more attuned to evolving our work. It becomes part of who we are. So it's less about learning a specific skill and more about being willing to embrace change and being willing to constantly learn something new. Absolutely. I'm actually finding increasingly, as we look at skills necessary to be successful in the future, what we're finding is essential is having a base of skills that allows you to maintain that fluidity that I just talked about. I think of it like it's almost like a fluid skill set. There are skills that we're going to need to continually learn, like new technologies and new ways of doing our work. But underneath all of that are, are these very basic skills. At Zurich North America, for example, we are promoting power skills. And these are durable skills that can be translated across all work and all roles. So that means they're long lasting. Actually, in my book, I call them human-only skills. Um, and that that's really because humans need to really focus in on these in particular. And they're really necessary for us to really harness the power of a connected world. And so one of these human-only skills I alluded to in the last question is learning agility. 
one of the things that actually came to me while I was writing the book is we've learned more about how the brain works in the last 20 years than we've learned in the last 200. And so to me, that just signals that there's just tremendous opportunity to increase our ability to learn, apply these advances in neuroscience to understanding how we can learn better and developing and applying new approaches. So really, I think it's about embracing lifelong learning and skills that are going to help us embed learning into our regular life and be more nimble and agile and actually resilient. I love that whole idea of the new skilling, not only enhancing our professional lives, but also our personal lives, Terry. So where does a company leader begin? Are there practical ways to motivate people to embrace this culture of learning when they may simply be afraid? Yes, I I love this question. Because when we think about learning in a corporate world, we often think about consuming content or attending workshops, which is definitely a viable and very important way to learn. And that's never going to go away. Um, But it's actually not where most learning happens. Um, And so thinking about how we can embrace and drive a learning culture in an organization is ideal um, because it's going to drive the ongoing learning that we need because we're not always going to be in a workshop and we're not always going to be able to consume content. And so um, this actually, to be able to drive a learning culture, it means really identifying what's getting in the way of learning and trying to overcome those barriers. So as an example, you know, motivation is a barrier to learning and motivation is connected to a lot of different things. People need to think that um, they have time to learn and that they're able to prioritize that. Um, And they need to think that what they're learning is going to matter and um, really make a difference for them. And so understanding how to motivate people can really help unleash more potential to learn. And A simple way of doing that is actually just being really good about um, defining purpose for our employees. And purpose is just such an amazing, powerful thing. When we focus attention on something bigger than ourselves, it actually makes us neurologically and physically more equipped to handle challenges. So our brain works better, our body works better, and it actually makes us happier because having purpose stimulates Um, what scientists call the happiness trifecta, which is a rush of oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine. And it really jazzes us up and and makes us happy to be here, happy to be doing our work, and then also happy to be learning in service of that higher purpose. And so when we think we're doing something important, um, it can actually help us not only be smarter, um, but also just really get us excited about learning. And other examples of overcoming that motivational barrier are, you know, setting time for learning. Some business units will have a couple hours a a week where they set aside time for learning. Some of them are doing um, learning across the whole organization. And actually, a lot of leaders are role modeling learning and talking about what they're doing to keep learning. And and then I would just say there's a lot of behaviors and practices that you can start to think about integrating into the daily routine because things just like being willing to admit that you're wrong or made a mistake, um, things like that can actually drive a learning mindset and more learning in the organization. 
So uh, how does a company identify where and with whom they need to reinvest the money and training for future proofing? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because historically companies have been somewhat selective in deciding who to develop um, and who to train. Um, and I think the dynamics have changed a little bit. Um, quality learning is now available on a mass scale for low investment. That that was not the case years ago. But increasingly, we're recognizing that it's actually more dangerous not to develop people. Um, and so I think that's why the strategies I talked about it before are so important um, to really embed learning in the organization. So those value add practices that don't really cost a lot are going to help continue to develop everyone and evolve to meet changing business needs. And so, you know, that's that I think companies do need to make a differential investment and in making sure that we have the skills to support the critical work that needs to be done in the organization. That's just absolutely necessary to supporting the work of the organization and drive ultimate profitability. And so looking at you know, the work of the organization and, and what needs to be done. And so, of course, an example of that is investing in building technical skills and, and data analytics skills and things like that. And those are things in areas that we are focusing on in our organization. Well, I love hearing about the importance of taking an equitable approach to this. In my own uh, experience at previous jobs, a lot of companies really had misguided assumptions about who was a good candidate and who wasn't. Very often the people who are quietly doing their job in the background can get overlooked for any number of reasons. But you know, Terry, in an earlier uh, conversation we had, you also talked though that different groups have different learning approaches. Do companies need to address that? Yeah, you know, I suspect what's really going on um, about what is fair is is more about as you're as you're kind of alluding to the fact that leaders and managers they actually have different philosophies and tactics. So what happens is learning and development often gets applied piecemeal, and some people and some employees feel left out of that investment. Um, so I I do believe it's critical to invest in those who want to learn and those who want to develop and those who want to grow because that's actually what's going to drive the business forward. And then also just think about, again, those critical skills that are necessary to survival. Um, but I think what this actually points to, this question that you're asking, is really the ongoing need to skill up our leaders and managers on what it means to develop people so that they have a consistent view across the organization that development is critical um, and that we need to be thinking about that for everyone and ensuring that everyone is continually growing and um, increasingly able to adjust and evolve with the changing work. So I wondered if you could share um, some of the things that Zurich does in this space that could be applied to any size company, particularly smaller companies that have fewer resources. That's a great question. I think, especially when you don't have a lot of, of resources, um, a lot of times I, I hear learning leaders talk about not having resources, but it's interesting because I think not having resources can actually help us do things that can be really helpful. Um, and one of the things that we've been doing at Zurich North America is 
involving business leaders who are passionate about learning to help drive strategies to engage people in learning across the organization. Um, and so we've actually worked with this group of leaders to think through ways that we can equip other leaders with tools to motivate learning, tools to help their employees learn on the job, um, tools for helping understand how they can dedicate time to learning, um, recognize learning in their organizations and among their employees and all of these things. In addition, we also are always scaling up our managers. This has been an ongoing topic and an ongoing focus for us over the last few years is just helping our managers develop like a, a very consistent approach to developing employees. We have a process that we have at our organization where employees have an opportunity to give feedback to their manager. It's called our Upward Manager Feedback Survey. Um, and one of those surveys actually does address this topic of development. And so that feedback helps drive awareness with that manager that employees do need and want development. And we also support our managers with training on development planning and career conversations. And, and lastly, we also are integrating um, some of these concepts into our ongoing leadership development activities. And so I think those are all things that any size company can really do to continue to drive awareness um, around the fact that everybody needs to be learning and growing. Terrific. Now I'm getting slightly off point um, but it does allude to some references you've made earlier. I've been in the workforce a long time, and in my previous jobs, or some of them, companies often communicate the desire to learn new skills, but it wasn't something we were necessarily supposed to do on company time. Can you talk about the importance of recognizing that this commitment needs to be part of an employee's workday, or, or is it not? Well, that's actually quite insightful. Uh, we know that to really thrive, employees need to be able to support their own well-being, and that means being able to balance all their commitments, work, family, physical health, um, brain health. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, ongoing stress actually impairs our cognitive function. So, it not only makes it harder to learn, it actually makes it harder to do good work. In fact, and this is where the science comes in, is that there's increasing evidence that synapse reduction happens in our prefrontal cortex and our hippocampus um, when we're under constant stress. And these areas are, they're actually the areas of our brain that respond for, for thinking as well as learning. And so I think we are probably gonna have a problem if employees aren't thinking, right? And so um, we know that people need to be able to balance all of these needs and we know that learning is key. And so it really is going to be critical that employers actually are more thoughtful about how they're balancing ongoing development across all these other needs um, for well-being. And I just, I think it's just practical. And so I think I've talked about using these opportunities to embed learning into our work and daily practice, but it also is going to mean that we also need to look at how we're supporting well-being so that employees can find time and um, are able to learn and think <laughs> so that they can be effective in their, in their jobs. Great answer. Thanks. And 
perhaps I should have asked this earlier, um, but it's also crucial, Terry, and you allude to it in your book that people are not replaceable. Um, artificial intelligence is fantastic, but there are some things people just do better and will continue to do better, at least for the next hundred years, right? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I think humans um, and machines actually need to be working together for, for really optimal outcomes. And we've seen a lot of examples in recent times of when that doesn't happen very well. You know, it's interesting because a few weeks ago, I was, I was actually a judge for a class of students. Um, and these students were in a learning and development program. And as a capstone project, they had to um, essentially present their project to a group of judges who gave them feedback and asked them questions. And by the way, there was a winner. <laughs> there was a winning project. Um, and and um, I, was, I was one of the judges and one of the other judges made a comment in response to one of the students' work on continuous learning. And something that had come up in the conversation was about really making time for learning and employees not having time to learn. And, and then in fact, that's actually the thing that's getting most in the way of learning of most organizations is really people feeling like they're, they're having time and given time. Um, and somehow the conversation kind of evolved to a group of employees that don't want to learn in the organization um, where the student worked. And one of the other judges said, well, wouldn't, wouldn't you just um, get rid of those employees that don't want to learn? <laughs> I stopped him and said, well, wait a minute. Um, I don't know that there are a whole bunch of people out there that are just raring to go that are ready for these roles that are also wanting to learn. And so I think this is a problem across the whole um, corporate landscape that you're always going to have people who maybe are nearing retirement or, um, you know, and, and oftentimes you know, 10 years, retirement 10 years out, like that's too long for somebody to be sitting and not learning. Um, and so I think we need to kind of just recognize that we actually do have to address situations where maybe people don't want to learn because people aren't replaceable. And so that's where, again, overcoming those barriers to motivating learning through setting purpose and really working hard to make it feel like it's important and making it feel like it matters for employees is going to be key to sparking that learning and inspiring that learning. Okay, and I'm going to play devil's advocate for one more question. Are there business leaders out there who might be concerned that if they upskill or reskill someone, that person might leave to get a better job? Well, I'm going to answer that question with a question. <laughs> Is it worse to have a person that we skilled up leaving the organization, or is it worse to have a person that we didn't skill up stay? <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I think the last part is worse. And, and actually, if we sort of train and develop everybody, um, we know that the people that we have here um, are, are going to have the right skills. Um, but, you know, I think the best approach, too, is really to lean in on development and work to create a culture where people want to stay and people want to work. I think what's interesting is that research shows that companies that are providing employees with development opportunities do have better retention rates and attract the best talent. So of course, that's another argument as well, but 
I think the bigger picture is really the one that we should be looking at. I think it ties to this concept of work sustainability, which is really taking a long-term view of this. And I think that we can't afford to have people not learning. If we think about it, companies have a collective responsibility to provide opportunities to learn and grow. Um, and, and I think it's great to be at, at Zurich with this because Zurich's employee value proposition is just that. Um, and, and my team and the other training team, we're, we're always working together and trying to figure out how we can live into that promise for everyone and really continue to drive learning as something that's just critical for everyone in the organization. Terry, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And I did want to share that we will have information on Terry's book, Hardwired to Learn, on the show notes. Terry, thanks. Thank you. This has been this has been great fun. Thanks so much. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.